With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Manchester United get the better of Brentford thanks to a late brace from Scott McTominay. It was the same old story for some of our key players as they underperformed, while Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans hardly put a foot wrong in defence. Questions remain, such as, can United finally get their season back on track? Why aren't the players performing for Eric Ten Hag? And their biggest fears for the international break. That and more on Stratocast. Matt, your first straight cast in a while. I'm also joined by Brian, who we'll get to shortly. You're not in Asda this time. How are you? All right, mate. Yeah, how are you? Not too bad. You're coming on to a podcast after a win. So in recent weeks, it's been fairly grim, but I think you're coming on at a good time. It's true as well, isn't it, mate? Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. And Brian, you're coming to us from... How do I describe this situation? Scott McTominay scored two injury time and I've ended up in hospital since so I put two and two together I ripped the cock off myself after watching it I'm in for uh, some repairs you tore the stomach off yourself I hope you get well soon. It's been documented a bit on Twitter. We're looking at it from a positive aspect, having a laugh at the situation, but I hope you get well soon. Matt, United secured three points at the weekend. Two late goals from Scott McTominay, which Brian touched upon. A dramatic comeback win in stoppage time. Do you think this result papers over cracks or is it a stepping stone for a better run of form? I think it probably does both, to be honest, doesn't it? Let's face it. I think we've not been very good this season at all, but you'd, you'd hope that Two goals like that from a lad like McTominay is going to be the inspiration that they can use and take forward. You just don't know with this. Like the comeback against Forest, you would have expected us to... Um... <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Brian is doing everything he can to put off Matt here. <laughs> just to butt in for a sec, I accidentally wanted to spray, spray some deodorant on because I'm in a hospital bed. Was that accidental that you've done that? Covered the best in shaving form. <laughs> this is the no. most unprofessional podcast. <laughs> Only on the straight cast. You cannot accuse me of lowering the tone anymore. A hospital room that is literally like the scene of a crime covered in shaving foam. Proposition the nurse when she comes in. I'm ready for you now. Oh my God. It's fitting that this would happen while we're talking about potentially papering over the cracks. So so, so yeah, Matt, you think it's a bit of both. Could be a stepping stone. We've been here before. With this United team, it's very much been the case of one step forward, two steps back for some time. And even before Ten Hag came in, how do we snap out of that? And can we when, you know, there's a real big, injury crisis too which can't overlook no but we've got some favourable games coming up certainly after the international break we're going to be going away to Sheffield United which you'd have to 
hope and pray is going to be another win. So it suddenly turns into two wins out of two. And then Copenhagen and the Champions League is obviously an absolute must win now because we're bottom of the group and really desperately need the points against the probably the most beatable team in the group. It's just then we have to take that into the derby the weekend after. And that is where we're going to have to use the inspiration. Do you think that with the form we've seen this season, that it is just naive to think that, right, come back after the international break, we can pick things up when we have City coming to Old Trafford at the end of October? two weeks away not really we've such a plethora of injuries we've gone through such an injury crisis at the start of the season I don't think Tin Hag's had a fair shake really so far I don't think it's reflective of what he's capable of as a manager we've seen it last year what he can do I, I found it way more positive than I have done for the last couple of episodes because obviously we've gone through a lot of stink trying to throw a positive light in it for a change I think once we get a few players back again and we, we start taking again like that late win there's no way a late win like that doesn't inspire some of the confidence in the side I know we were we were dog shit for 92 and a half minutes or whatever it was but late wins like that they're always fantastic get a couple of players back in the side again come back after the international break try rattling a little bit of a win here or there and then get City get City off to OT but like we're not that bad against City at home even in City's pomp we don't ever play extremely bad at home we've got quite a good record I think I always fancy us to turn up against them I mean if it was Liverpool when Liverpool were at their their absolute pump like the last time they, at that time they pumped us now I'd be more afraid of playing them but City whatever it is about City we just seem to have their number more often than not I'm saying it now they could probably absolutely pump us when they do and I'll be there and walk out of the ground depressed but maybe it's a commentator's curse but I don't see him giving us a hiding for some reason I don't know why again that could like every week we're saying about springboards for the season if there's any springboard for the season that's it I mean turn City over at Old Trafford and it's, it's on We are one of those teams that give those shock results especially we have done against City in the past on the rally United can provide a shock result do you think we can do that against City given what you've yeah. seen absolutely I mean City aren't infallible that's the thing Wolves showed that they weren't infallible and Newcastle and Arsenal you know they, they didn't play particularly well at all against Arsenal it, they're not the only problem is they'll have Rodri back for us and obviously he's a big player for them makes them tick but there's no reason to say why we can't get another 2-1 you look at last season's result we went through Garnacho came on and was just unstoppable against them they didn't know how to handle him there's nothing saying that that can't happen again. We're going to need to step up. We're going to need players like Rashford to appear finally. We're going to need Casemiro to be on it. Players back in the side. Obviously, our defence that isn't Victor Lindelof, just as standard because he's shite. Don Lindelof, because he touched on him, and like I agreed this season, he's been absolutely awful. But we've seen at the end of last season when he came into the team, he went through a really good run of form. And you just look at the team and other players in it right now, He's not the only one to perform in. Like there's something has to give in these coming weeks where players that we're talking about are going to have to come out of the team. You mentioned Casemiro is one that's underperforming and Rashford being another one. But something has to give at some point. If these players continue performing, one or two of them will have to come out of the team, surely. I think football fans, like the fickle nature of football is obvious to everybody, but every one of us are guilty of it. And as a fan base overall, we're horrifically guilty of it. You've seen, go back to Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka was the worst right back in the planet for a while. Then he was reborn. Then he was the best right back in the planet. Then Dallow came back into form and Dallow was the new Cafu. It's, it goes around in circles. It's like Lindelof, like you said, last season, Lindelof came into the side, oh, Lindelof is so much better than Maguire, and Lindelof is, he's really good, and his passing range is quality, and he's able to come out and find a pass from the defence. Now everyone's crying, oh, Harry Maguire has to be starting. It's ridiculous he's not starting. He has to be back in the side after two years of being absolutely torn to shreds. The old saying, form is temporary, class is permanent. Footballers at the, the levels of Lindelof and D- Dallas and that, they are foreign players. They're not going to be a, a class perm- permanent structure in the team. They're not like your, your, your world-class players are going to give you the same thing every week every week in and out. You use them to the best you can use them. And I mean, Ten Hag is using what he has at the moment. It's all he has. He hasn't got a whole pile of options. Like you can rotate into the likes of Lindelof. When Lindelof is on form, he's a decent defender. When he's playing well, he's a decent defender. When he's not playing very well, he's absolute dog stink. Similar to Maguire. Maguire is a very adept defender when he's on form. When he's off form, he's horrible. There's no middle ground with him. You don't get like a, a 6 out of 10 performance out of him. You get 4s or 7s. So it's been disappointing to see Lindelof lately. He's been he's been poor enough. But I, like you didn't have an option. And then you've got Varane coming back into the side. But Varane's made out of shredded wheat. So Varane gives you another complete... Well, Varane missed the game against Brentford. You know, like, have we any reason to have any faith in him staying fit? No, not at all. I, initially, when I saw the reports about Varane being linked with Saudi, my gut reaction, my instant 
instantaneous reaction was not a hope. Varane's too good. Oh, he's a Rolls Royce. No way. But then when you sat back for half an hour, you're like, he's missed 35 games, I think, so far since he's joined us through injury. It's shocking. You can't have a solid back four if one of your main defenders is always on the bench or always injured. He can be the best player in the world, but like he's not he's not rolling back the years like Ledley King. You can't manage him like a Ledley King of old where you know he's got specific issues and you deal with that and you manage him around by playing one game a week or you play him in certain games and stuff. You can't do that with Varane because Varane could literally come out warm up and three minutes later he's gone for three months. It's a nightmare. If you can't defend on a player, it's no good. It's the, he's, the, he's the polar opposite of Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes offers you his biggest attribute. He offers you availability every single time. Whether he's on form or not, he's there. You can have Varane come in and play world-class for three games. He's missing for 10. Not worth a shit. Going back to the game, Jensen opened the score and Brentford after 20 minutes, capitalising on multiple errors from United. We had Casemiro misplace a pass and commit himself with nothing tackle. Lindelof Sarri attempted to clear the ball. And of course, yes, Onana with a blunder on top of it all off. Why do you think we're all over the place at the back? Well, it comes back to not having a settled back four, doesn't it, at the end of the day? It comes back to who we're having to play there. No Martinez at the minute. Again, he's normally quite reliable fitness-wise, so at least he's generally a constant senior player. Obviously, got Shaw is similar to Varane. He, he just can't stay fit. Putting Dalot at right back, who is fucking shite and has been shite forever, apart from the odd purple patch here and there. We're dependent on Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans has been our best defender. He's only played three games for us, but he's been our best defender. Maguire's been... Well, he was all right against Brentford. He, the two of them played okay, but they weren't particularly troubled by anything. And uh, Lindelof just said, he's a centre-back, he can't head a ball. I've no, he, he nearly broke his own neck trying to win a header. Didn't win the header and uh, he didn't even manage to break his own neck. He's that fucking useless. It doesn't help. And it doesn't help having a new goalkeeper there. I know De Gea had his issues and, you know, he wasn't the most commanding of keepers, but they knew what he was going to be. So they knew what they were going to get out of him. You know, you know he's not going to come for the crosses. So you, you you have that in the back of your mind. On the goal itself, because I noticed the aftermath, and obviously we've documented on previous episodes that Onan has made a number of blunders since coming to the club in the summer. But I just thought the reaction afterwards was quite telling because a number of people focused in on, obviously, him making the mistake, but not so much that it came from a collective of errors. And in, in another game that happened over the weekend, Liverpool and Brighton, Brighton's first goal was very, very similar. Liverpool giving the ball away in midfield, sloppily, and a goal from distance, which Allison should prevent, and the ball blunders in underneath him as well. You know, these happen without that wasn't focused in on, like we've seen with Onana. I look at that goal, Matt, and like I can't solely blame him for it. I don't think it was that bad of a mistake from Onana. I think he should save it, but it's come obviously like you say from a catalogue of errors and it's come from behind whoever it was who stood in front of him. I think it was weak, but I don't think it's as bad as what's been being made out. The one against Bayern was obviously utterly horrendous. But I, don't, I really don't see how that has gone down as it's gone down. The reason he's getting so much shit for it, and the comparison to Alisson, which is actually a good point, Alisson has earned his stripes. Alisson has put in the performances, and he's come off in performances, and if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. It's not something he does every single week, week in, week out. The difference with Onana is he's just arrived at the club, big money, big name, big reputation coming in to be the new number one for Manchester United and he's been fucking horrific. His errors before this have compounded in the fact that when he does make an error like that, which you could possibly get away with if you're playing well and you're pulling off saves left, right and centre and putting seven and eight out of ten performances in, you'd be get you'd get away with one or two here and there. Every keeper does. But when he's break dancing on the floor when a fella's coming through one on one and he's getting chipped from fucking ten yards out, you can't expect not to get a bit of stick for it. And it's, it's justified. And, it, and you know what? It's right. Because at the end of the day, there are standards that have to be met. He's not meeting the standard by any means, shape or form. I mean, we're all going to give him time and back him and the usual gusto. But people are playing the comparison to the gear, which, although it may be unfair to do, it's the only comparison we have for the last decade or so. Oh, De Gea came in and he wasn't great at the start and he was weak. De Gea was 20 years of age in a beanpole. This lad's 27. There's a total difference in career here and stage of career when he came in. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to town on Anna for life. I'm just stating what he's given us so far hasn't been good enough by any means. It's been laughable at times. And because of that, the mistakes that he makes will now be compounded even more and focused on even more, specifically because he plays for Man United. He's going to get absolutely battered front and he does wrong. But I think once he finally finds his feet, the back four settles down a bit. He gets into a bit of form. Mistakes will be forgiven more easily. But for now, I think he's under the spotlight where every little thing he does, because he's a new shiny toy at the back, the, the big money keeper, he's going to get focused on so much more. 
No, I agree with all of that. I, th- I think as well, when he came in, we were all under the impression of what he would bring to the side in terms of distribution. And, and we all knew as well that would take time for the defence to, to get used to. I think if he was making mistakes playing out from the back, you could kind of excuse that he's just getting used to this defence. But some of the mistakes that I've seen that have been worrying have been the ones it was against uh, Galatasaray where he just goes down way too easy. And there's been a number of blunders. You know, they're mistakes that I don't think you can really forgive. If it was the matter of playing out from the back and there was teething problems, you'd say, right, it's a matter of, of time. I think you, you nail it when you say that it's from errors before and, the pressure is building and that's just inevitable at Manchester United and we have standards that have to be met, have to be met. Roy Keane touched on something with this recently and he said that we've stuck with goalkeepers in the past and eventually they turned out that the mistakes they had made, they couldn't come back from it. Do you think Onana has shown that he has the confidence and courage to, to overcome it himself? No, I think he's shown that, hasn't he? He's not, he's not been... Backwards in coming forwards, he's always out there talking to the press and he's certainly got the right attitude about him. It just seems to all go to shit when he's actually out on the pitch. I don't think, obviously, the fellow's obviously not doing it on purpose, but he just seems to be in a funk where anything he does at the minute is either a mistake or being seen as a mistake. And he made two smart saves at the end of the Brentford game. Let's not forget it. They weren't world-class, but they, they were two smart stops. But he should have saved the goal. So that's all that's being focused on. I think if he can get himself a bit of a run of games, I think, like I said to you, the Gaia saved that free kick from Mata and that was the making of him after that. If he's going to come through it, he's going to need a moment. It's just whether he's ever going to get that moment. And I think we kind of dying on the on the hill with this now because this is the way that Ten Hag wants to play. And there's not very many goalkeepers out there as renowned as him for being that good with his feet. To be the devil's advocate, what's plan B if this goes to shit? Because, like you said, we've put all our eggs in one basket. Ten Hag has gone gung-ho for this one particular keeper, this one particular style. If he does actually turn out to be a complete and utter bag of shit, are we, are we doomed? Or is buying dear the, the answer? What's, like, who we don't really know? Well, about? You're playing devil's advocate, which is fine. And I don't, I don't want to make this comparison. I've seen it pop up, but it will be my answer. You look at what Guardiola did with Bravo. He came in, he was the goalkeeper he wanted... Manager decided 12 months later, shit, made a bit of a mistake here. I need to go and sign a top goalkeeper. Then you, you go back to United and how United are being run. Do we create an environment for a manager to do that? Because I think there's also an element of the pressure on the recruitment team. At United, every signing has to be almost bang on or someone's going to cause problems with that. We have to kind of get away from that, that because there is a reality that you do make mistakes and we've made plenty of them. But if United haven't made a mistake here and look back at it in 12 or 18 months, it's got to replace them. And I'm absolutely 100% perfectly happy with that because it's been one of our most criminal mistakes over the last decade or 12, 2, 10, 11, 12 years. Clinging on to players past their sell-by date. Recognise their sell-by date early. Act. This is what you've got to do. Jaden Sancho has done it for us. I mean, I'm, I'm actually not totally disappointed that Sancho's been a complete wet blanket about this whole issue with, with Ten Hag. Because he gets him out of the side and I don't think he's good enough. I've been saying it for a long time. I didn't think he was good enough since he came in. He's made the decision for us and he'll help us shift him out the door. Going to take a loss in it because of how it's happened. But why wait around just because you've paid money for a player and hope forever and a day it's going to work out? Case in point, Anthony Martial. If is not good enough, we give him till the summer. Shift him. Move on. I've ha- hold the hands up. We made a mistake. We buy a keeper and we go again. Rather than giving him three or four years and hoping it'll eventually come out, come good and oh he'll be all right next season. If he's not going to work out, he's not going to work out. We're never going to catch up with who's ahead of us and we're going to be in fucking limbo forever. So, And that's true of any player that comes in from now on. I, I would hope, amongst hope, that Ten Hag is ruthless enough and afforded that power by the club that he can literally say, OK, I find you, I thought you were good enough, haven't turned out to be, and didn't turn on to the club. He's going, we need someone else. Look back at it, fucking breaks my heart to mention Pep. But when you look back at Pep Guardiola when he needed a right back, he signed four of them. He got one that worked. Where's the other three? Gone. He literally went out and goes, We need a right back. It's the, it's the position that's key to us at the moment. We need to fix this problem. He went and fucking fixed it, all right? He fixed it by buying three or four players. He made sure one of them worked out and shifted off the rest of them. That's rootless. We'd go and buy a fellow for 50 million and stick with him for five years. That's idiot. It's, it's lunacy. It's terrible recruitment. It's terrible behaviour as a football club. If we ever want to catch City and to a lesser extent Arsenal, we have to be ruthless. We have to start acting ruthlessly. And my biggest fear of that, of course, is it's not going to happen under the ownership that we have. So it always goes back to the same old thing, doesn't it? 
the fucking Glazers holding us back again. Yeah, it's important as well you're saying about sell by now. Onana currently has resale value, so if he's shit for 12 months, well, we might take a five, 10 million pound loss on him, but we'll get 35, 40 million pound from him from into someone in Italy, you know what I mean, on the, someone on the continent, and then you're using it again. Marshall's a good example of that, of somebody who we bought for rising to £50 million. He turned up for his debut and then hasn't been seen since because he didn't get the shirt number he wanted. And now the resale value's gone. We can't even give him away. Sevilla had him on loan and sent him back straight away. Whoever they had, he went on loan somewhere else. And they just sent him back because they don't want because he's shit. Bailey was exactly the same. We had to give him away. Because he's shit. Because we left him to turn to shit at us. Fuck him off. Go go and turn to shit at Galatasaray. Start doing that. Except Anthony Martial. I know it's international break and all the, the Nazi rubbish stories come out, but Martial seemingly has the hump and wants more game time, wants to be the main man. I mean, this guy has 100% been on the spice in Piccadilly Gardens. There is no way he hasn't. <laughs> I'll have to be imputed for so many years. Undependable. Moody. Fucker doesn't know how to smile and have the bare balls to come out and go, I want to be the number one man at United after we've signed Rasmus Hoyland, who's shown us more than a handful of games and Martial's not shown us in five years. Do you remember when Eric Bailey did the same thing under Solskjaer? Yeah. Wanted more game time, so he played him and in that game, injured himself. This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with eggheads. <laughs> they're great players. They deserve to play every single game. Then they come on and they're absolute shit. Is it their mum and dad that's telling them how great they are? Oh, you're a great little boy and you are a lovely singer. Honestly, look, sing for your nana because you've got a great voice. You haven't. You're a scratchy cat. Stop singing. Get out. It literally a few minutes ago to how everything seems to go back to the Glazers. And Booze rang around Old Trafford at halftime in that win over Brentford. Brentford winning 1-0 at the time. But do you think that was for the performance the fans had seen? Or do you think there's more to it given the club's situation with the ownership and the lack of clarity from the Glazer family? Dale, I think it's the build-up of frustration from multiple different facets. No, I've clarified before, it's not for me. Booing the team off, it's just not something I really do. But can I understand why? Yeah, I can, of course. Of course I can. Played another 45 minutes of drab shit football, 1-0 down to Brentford. Everton's going to pot again. You're thinking to yourself, oh man, another week of listening to listening to bullshit off rivals and talk sport going in and us again and this player is the worst player in the world. And Oh dear, oh dear. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking the takeover hasn't happened. Sir Jim Ratcliffe's buying 5%. Um, Sheikh Jassim is buying 5%. Um, it's a culmination of 50,000 different factors coming out in one sound of boo at halftime. So it's a frustrated fan base, and I can understand why they're, why they're frustrated. I definitely think the Glazers is a massive, massive part of it. But on the day, I would imagine it's what they were watching on the pitch and what we've seen already on the pitch for the last few games, just coming to rear its ugly head in the form of fan base getting pissed off with everything. It's a combination of things. Like when I was at the last game, again, Palace, the one defeat, you can feel it really around the ground that people are just fed up. And I know we lost that day and the performance again was pretty drab. But the mood around the ground is just a collection of things. You look at the leaks in the roof, the state of the place, and again, what we're seeing on the pitch. You know, I, I suppose it's telling as well that there was booze at half time when we were 1 0 down and there wasn't booze the full time whistle when we came from behind the 1-2-1. I was just going to say to you, imagine if we hadn't come back. So base half-time's reaction, without a comeback, without Super Scott, Superman Scott McTominay coming on, the best player that ever played football, scoring two goals out of nowhere. If that doesn't happen, can you imagine the level of booze and the frustration that would have been in the ground? And to be fair, rightfully so, because we were absolutely horrific. We were tragic to watch. It was another putrid performance. And if we walk away, they're getting beat 1-0. You can't argue with that. The result, we didn't deserve to win that game, I don't think, to be fair. We robbed it at the end of it. So I think it would have gone chaotically boo at the end of that game. Luckily, it did the complete polar opposite. Superman come off the bench and turned it all around and everyone was buoyant and absolutely buzzing for a week or so after it. Which is football, which is the best thing about it. It, it, it's, it can turn on a fight. Bench, but we're never really that far away from we're back. It, this, is, this is the springboard. We're back. The season's on now. Or we're the worst team in the world, as as Dale is illustrating with his fantastic cup, ball is best. So we're going to have to believe in that for a while. So it's just such a shit term, but it's a topsy turvy season at the moment because it is literally going from, is this the one that's going to turn the season around to, oh we're fucked. Oh, oh hang on, we're not. We're going to turn it around now. That's it. Now we're fucked. 
is that the season we're going to have ahead of us? Or is it just going to be up, down, up, down, up, down? Or are we actually going to get a run of form and start getting a few wins on the board? I hope after this international break, we can just start getting a bit of consistency back in the side, put a string of a couple of results together. And that's all we need. Like I, think, I really think it's all we need. We just need to put a string of results together, get four, five, six half-decent results together, get the team playing a bit of confidence football again and get back on track because some of them look absolutely devoid, absolutely fucked for confidence. Some of them are really, really low looking, like really, really down. Rashford looks like a shell. I know everyone's hating Rashford at the moment. I know, I know. Boring, boring. I know everyone wants to tear, tear the shit out of him. They weren't tearing the shit out of him last season when he scored 30 odd goals and was fucking carrying the team on his back. Like it's a short term memory thing. Rashford might not be the best player in the entire world, but he saved our bollocks last season more often than not. And now, we're oh, a mere 10 games into the season and now he's fucking Gabriel Oberton again. Give the kid a break, like, Jesus Christ. Let him have a bad patch. He's going to come good again. We've seen it. It's a cycle. But he looks like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. No wonder he does. 70,000 fellas inside in the ground are calling him a useless cunt. I wouldn't fancy that at work every day. Do you know what I mean? Imagine that every day at work. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's bad enough I've got the lads at work be calling me a useless bastard. But if there were 70-odd thousand of them doing it, that's going to wear on you. I mean... Give the, ch- give the kid a break. Let, let it, give him a chance to support the fella and try to get him back on form again. Marcus Rashford is phenomenal. Devastating on the left-hand side when he's on form. When he's off form, he's dog shit. Again, another player that's either top or bottom. But let's try to get him back to that. We need him. There's no point slagging him off and, and, and you're getting nothing out of it. We need the fella on form. I mean, back the fella for a while. I don't get it. Like, I don't get why he's got such... It's very counterproductive. It's counterproductive, yeah. And I don't get why everyone's focused on him. Like, I mean, the fan base needs a new whipping boy every week. Maguire seems to be off the hook for a while. They've just focused all their energy on Rashford is the worst player ever. Rashford shouldn't be playing for United. He should have gone to PSG. He should have this. He should Fuck off. He banged in 30 goals last season. Give me a fucking break. Like, he was electric. We had no striker. He stepped up to the plate. Off left, off left midfield or left wing, whatever you want to call his position in this new modern fucking fancy football. Inside forward? So, inside forward. Term, I, I can accept that one, but you know I'm coming from. Like he was, he was unbelievable last season. He's not having a great season now. No one is having a fucking great season at the moment. It's not like he's he's alone in the wilderness. Get him back on form. Find the right midfielder that's not going to fucking murder someone or, or kill someone's goldfish. <laughs> that might be tricky with our recruitment team. Oh you yeah, dodged, you, you dodged around the actual thing quite well there, Brian. Yeah, I, I just like think... he went down the goldfish route and not. The actual, the actual route. <laughs> yes. Get rid of Martial in January if he wants to go. Brilliant. Bring in a striker. Bring in a second striker. Even Again, I said it in the summer. Even if it's a Cavani-esque older striker, get, another, get a six-month backup out of him or whatever you want to do to give Hoyland a break when we need it. Just, if, if I ever see Vautvekos anywhere in Manchester again, not to mind at Old Trafford, I'll bomb it. Um, just... Do you know, like, we, we're, people are forgetting too, there is, a, there is an opportunity in January to do a little quick deal that can change a little dynamic in the team like that, getting in a second striker if, if Martial leaves. So, see how it goes. With, like, the season isn't dead and buried. Luckily, City and Arsenal haven't exactly ripped up the... Well, Arsenal didn't right, but City have, City have been a little bit shit. The gap between the two of us isn't that big after these couple of games. So, I mean, there's a little bit of light at the tunnel that we can rescue something from the season. It's early days at the moment. I'm absolutely, after flipping around on one of the last few podcasts, I'm like the voice of positivity here tonight. And we're going to go out the next game, get dick 2-0, and I'll be back to the, the evil man that I usually am. The unfortunate thing we've got about City is that after Christmas, they're going to win 18 games in a row. Just canter it. Wankers. Yeah. I, I like to try and ignore it, but we all fucking know it's going to happen. Like, it's just it's just depressing. But you're right what you're saying about Rashford as well as the, uh, the inverted winger. There's another one there for you, Brian. <laughs> He's just very easy to get on the back up. But then I think Maguire might have taken a bullet for him with all of this interview he did with England where he's not happy with his playing. He's not going to sit around and wait forever. Well, Harry, you didn't have to because West Ham bid for you and you didn't bother moving. So move like, to there if you don't, if you want to play. Exceptional. Was it, was it exceptional the word he used with his record or superlative like that about his win record and decide? First of all, I saw it and I thought it was a piss take. I thought it was a fluff piece. Then I read it actually wasn't a fluff piece. He actually did say it. Now, fair play to the lad. I don't want to see a fella sit on the bench, I'm not going to name any names, as a centre-half and collect a wage for two or three years. Don't do it, Dale, because I know you're going to say it and I don't want to slander him. He should have got a testimonial. But I don't want to see Maguire sitting there sulking, doing fuck all about it. I like the fact he wants to play. I like the fact he wants to get back in the side. I like certain aspects of Maguire. I still wish he fucked off in the summer, don't get me wrong. But 
I'm slightly amused by his exceptional win record in the side. It's over the course of like nine games or something, or like five starts or something. It's not like the sample size isn't exactly massive, Harry. Relax. Yeah, Darren Bent, of all people, has listened to Talksport Turn the Way Home. And he actually made a really good point that he doesn't think he's ever heard him come out and say, actually, lads, my form's not been too great. I need to improve. I don't think he's ever, ever come out and said it. And I couldn't believe that it was him that identified this. But you sit there and you think, no, I don't think he's ever the issue to himself. I think he's similar to Sancho, who hasn't taken the hint from four different footballing clubs and bodies that have all said, Jaden, you're shit at training. But obviously he's the scapegoat because Ten Hag said a nasty word about him. Maguire's never once actually gone, eh, maybe maybe marking Luke Shaw wasn't the best moment. Maybe that did lead to the goal. No, no, it's Luke's fault. It can't be me. I'm exceptional. I've got a 54% win record. Thank you very much. And I'm now off to focus on two big games for England and I'll see you after the break. How do you do? We've got San Marino and Gibraltar and I'm never going to let Gareth Southgate down. Harry Maguire hat-trick against San Marino. You heard it here first. Well, mate, we bought him on the back of a fucking goal against Panama so anything's fucking possible in it. That is the only reason we paid £80 million for him. He scored against fucking Panama. He had a stupid nickname and he had that picture with them three birds. And that is it. And that was apparently an eighty million pound fucking defender, and I got battered at the time for saying it. He's fucking, he, oh, he's bang average. We'll it's take just, it. You're not, you're not, you're not the biggest Harry Maguire fan, Matt. Exceptionally not. Well, look, stick, sticking on that, my knowledge, both of you couldn't care less for international football. So I wanted to ask you, Matt, first. Um, what worries you most when you see United players jetting off for international duty? And obviously the. the what most people would say with injuries, but is there anything else? Not really. It's many the injuries, to be honest with you. I don't think I don't think there's anything in international football enough to to worry anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not gonna we're not gonna get anything major happen to them. I suppose you know there's no, none of our players are going anywhere at the minute in the world that's particularly tumultuous. So they'll get a, they'll be all right there. It's more just the injuries. I mean, you look tonight for Scotland, and all right, it's funny for us because he plays for Liverpool, but Robertson's gone off with the broken arm or dislocated shoulder or something. I celebrated too, Brian. We're, we're another one of them away from, I, th- I think, having to play one of us. I really do. I'm, I play tonight and I've got tits, but if I'm needed, I'm here. Brian, anything else when it comes to international breaks that you worry about, apart from injuries? My mental health, having to listen to people talk about international football. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I. I. I can't, international football is like it's the equivalent of getting AIDS. I hate it. I can't stand it. I have no interest in it whatsoever. I don't see the appeal to it. I can't understand how Man United fans spent years cheering on Steven Gerrard for England, for example, just as one sample point. It doesn't work for me. I. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I'm not strange because I know there's loads of people who are very same. But it, it's always been. It has always been club over country for me, and that's. Might sound terribly unpatriotic, but it has. I can't stand international football. I just it doesn't do it for me. Don't enjoy the level of it. It's interesting. It's not bad when it comes to like World Cup finals from quarterfinals on ish, Euros from like semis on, semi decent to watch. Getting the better sides and, and the better players to watch. But like you said, England are going to play in a fucking San Marino and, and Doncaster or someone there for the next two games. Uh, who the fuck wants to watch that? I mean, give me a break. Apart from Doncaster fans, because it's probably the best team they get to see. International football to me is for fans of lower league clubs who've got fuck all happiness in their life and they want to have something nice to do. They can't go on Euro ways and they haven't got any decent side to watch, so they go and watch some actual footballers play actual football at a poor level. Tottenham uh, fans yeah. and Tottenham fans because they're just weird. But yeah. the biggest problem, the biggest problem with international football is the injuries. Yeah, we send off our lads and you spend a week or two praying that you don't lose any key players, or you know, unless you're matching you. Hope that Harry Maguire gets injured because he's a bit evil about that. But other than that, that's that's the problem. It's the concerning side of international football breaks during the season. He's losing key players to stupid challenge. Reading a piece recently and they collected data from players with the most minutes last year. Bruno Fernandes clocked up something like over 6,000 minutes. And he was at the top of the list. And that's what I was worried about going into this international break. Because his form hasn't been good this season played so much football and he kind of knows well with Portugal that he plays the whole time anyway. And apparently he's one of those players that doesn't want to be sat on the bench and that's all well and good, but 
just one of my concerns would be with burnout with players and with the, the authorities, UEFA, FIFA and so on. All they seem interested in doing right now is adding more fixtures to the schedule every year, all for the sake of money. And we're going to get players that are going to be burnt out as a result. One of my favourite people in the world, Virgil van Dijk, said something about that earlier, earlier on today. I saw him come out and say that players in England play a phenomenal amount of games and it's expected to be more and more and more. And do you know what? As much as I think he's a cock, he's right. They're burning out players for something's sake. The schedule is, is stacked. It's coming to the stage where if FIFA or UEFA or whoever makes these decisions gets their ways, there'll be games played in Dubai and Qatar and Abu Dhabi in America and there'll be one-off fucking spectacle games here and there. And Players are going to be dead in their feet. It only serves to reduce the quality we're going to see because players won't be able to perform to their best. Their fitness levels are going to have to be so high that when they break down, they're going to break down badly and they'll be out for months. They probably do need to take a bit of a look at themselves and, and relax on all these extra games they want to try adding in. I mean, what's, what's the new format for the Champions League coming? That Where we're playing like, no, don't get me wrong, happy for a couple of extra Euro aways, but have we got like eight games? You could say eight games. There's four eight. more teams added, I believe. Six before Christmas, two after Christmas. Top eight go through, skip around. The 24 teams after that play a knockout round. And then go and join up with the top eight. Who was the bright spark who decided we're already fucked for any re- rearranged fixture? If we if if a game is missed, you're trying to squeeze it in anywhere you possibly can before the end of the season. I know what we'll do. We'll stick in four trips across Europe, extra. That'll fix it. It gets better because if you win it or get in the final, and I think maybe on legacy points, you then get invited to the new 32 team. Club World Cup, that I'm not sure if that's every year or every four years, maybe. Rewind a second. What the fuck is the legacy point? Well, like us, because we've done good some years ago, they might say, do you want to be in our club? And we might say yes. Because it's all money-driven, isn't it, at the end of the day? this is And this is why they're up in the World Cup, and this is why they're up in the It's Euro the new League. Super League. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Let me, get, let me try and compute this. We've legacy fans phrase or stage after the ESL you had people claiming to be legacy fans which fits a certain demographic now we've got legacy points to the team seen a trend here don't call them legacy points sorry not legacy I think that's how it's working but don't quote me on it well either way let's call them legacy points for the sake of conversation so we go we get through to the Champions League at the moment we're not going to probably be in Europe next season because we're fucking terrible but either way we do get through to this new funky Champions League setup. We play well. All our players drop dead by Christmas because they played 55 games. We call in the reserves who are then shipped off to the World Club Cup on legacy points to play another 32 teams. When's it going to stop, Jeff? This all came, by the way, from what I was saying about Bruno Fernandes in the current state of things. But he's the only player in the world no. football to be able to do this because he's the bionic man who is never, ever injured and never, ever unable to play most players won't be capable of doing this. This is actually a topic for a whole other podcast, obviously. We can go off on a tangent, but imagine the size of squad you're going to need to compete. I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. We're str- I mean, we've got a half-decent sized squad as it is, and we already we struggle with the current setup. You throw in all these extra games, I mean, Jesus Christ almighty. I love football. I don't want to watch it every day of the week. Probably it's more money-driven, this, and it's the, this is the problem. that They want the money. The players want the money. And so the unfortunate, and the clubs want the money, the unfortunate thing is that then negates any argument we've got for player welfare or anything because they go, well, if you want the broadcast here, you've got to play the games. And this is the issue that we have is that they, they think that what we want to do is watch football every second of every day. I like it, but I probably would get bored of it eventually. It's just not going to happen. The other thing is the Fernandez thing is quite nice because he's played 6,666 minutes because I heard that the other day as well. I just had to say it. It was my fact of the day. I can't can't see that Champions League format lasting, if I'm honest. I can see it being attempted, but I can see a big fight back after the first first effort of it. I can't see clubs liking it. I can't see them going for it. That that doesn't have longevity in it for me. It's not suitable. It's like the two group stages they did back in the day, isn't it? Because they did a group stage and then you went through to another one and then knockouts. It's just, they're going to try these things, but yeah. We'd spend an episode explaining that when we know more because the way the way I've seen it in the past few weeks and our months even, there's been kind of updates kind of drip fed about how they're going to do it. 
has it has it all been confirmed yet, Matt, or is it still kind of the same kind of early stages? It's all confirmed. Yeah, it's all confirmed. It's not. Yeah, we'll look. We'll, we'll look into it. And we'll, we'll do an episode soon explaining exactly how it's going to work and our, our thoughts on it. Because I think you're you're right, Brian. We could spend the entire night on it. You, you want to say something else? Go for it. On that on that episode, we do. I will be the person giving the side of bring the Champions League back to only the winners. That's how football should be. Winners only. Bring it back. But only when we're good again. Continue. <laughs> we also have a roundup of questions, which we get to every week. We always appreciate time you put into these questions. Dave, you've submitted two. We touched on one already. Obviously, the Harry Maguire stuff and his comments about sitting on the bench and playing once a month. Matt's already given his thoughts on, on, on one Harry Maguire. But Matt, second yeah. question from Dave. What are your thoughts on Lindelof and Wan-Bissaka getting a new deal? Victor Lindelof needs to go in the bin. He can't head a football. I can't. I just can't have a defender who can't head. He, 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 oh, he's so bad. And someone I was talking to the other day was saying that he pointed out a while ago that perhaps as bad as Maguire is, perhaps Lindelof has been the issue. Look how bad the defenders have been with him this season. Perhaps Lindelof was making Maguire look, apart from him being utterly awful, making him look even worse than that because he he is constantly pushing out of position. Constantly. I, where was it? Was it against... Um, who did we play before? Brentford. Whoever that was. Galatasaray. Galatasaray. Two of the goals were his fault. One of them, I don't even think Wilfred Zahar put any pressure on him. My two-year-old could have out-muscled him because he he's so weak. And then the other goal, the the one that because Am- Amrabat gave the ball away, which okay, that's Amrabat's fault for giving the ball away. But there's there's no line because Lindelof is twenty yards in front of him. Mark is their centre back. Oh, he's so bad. But Wambasaka, I'm a Wambasaka fan. I back that horse, and I'm glad I back that horse. He's now he, well, he's always been the best right back in the world. But he's confirmed, is it now? You can't expect Victor Lindelof, a guy who wears a dress, or leather chaps and a leather waistcoat not to be bullied off of football. I mean, the evidence is here for everybody. Don't forget about the kids behind him in his leather chaps. Hey, would Beckham pull it off? Beckham Beckham pulls anything off, mate. It's David Beckham. I'd let him pull me off. Bruce and Emmanuel Vidic walking around in a fucking trip. No, you certainly wouldn't. No, And no, this is the thing. I I shared it on my Instagram today of him dressed. I think it was a Vogue shoot. I was thinking to myself, you know, you see your centre back, this kind of malarkey. You're never going to be scared of him, are you? You, know, you want to be scared of your centre back. They can't run Lewin at Lovett. Fair point. Literally, the only thing Lindelof has bought us is his fit wife. That, that is the only thing he's been good for. That is it. I can't wait for us to play Everton. See Calvert Lewin and Lindelof holding hands, doing a little dance in the fucking six yard box. Doing little... Literally giving it handbags. Six bags, yeah. Wearing two little fucking Under Armour man bags walking. <laughs> It's a satchel, Brian. Your thoughts on Wan-Bissaka and Lindelof getting new deals? Thought of it makes me sick, but the idea of it, I'm assuming it's for, for transfer value. It's the only logic I can see behind it. Rather than letting them go for nothing whenever the, the deal is done, stick an extra year in it and get a few quid for it. I'm not against that transfer business. Sorry to interrupt, but what we were saying earlier on, keeping players for too long, don't we need to cut this cycle of giving players contracts. Like, for instance, we're talking about Lindelof right now and his form, which has been very really questionable since the start of the season. Who in the right mind sits down with a player in, in that phase of form right now and says, we're thinking of giving you a new contract? When it comes to Wan-Bissaka, I think it's totally warranted, given his form before his injury. I don't think it's actually... Sorry, Brian. I don't think it's actually giving them a new deal, though, is it? It's just triggering that extra year. Again, back to my original point. I don't think it's formed. I think they're triggering that extra year extension to allow themselves to try to get recoup a fee when they go. I'm still on the side of being rootless, shipping them off, but try to get a few quid from them. Then you're just hoping with the likes of Lindelof, which it shouldn't be the case really, but you're just hoping you don't go into the same situation as Eric Bailey and just a matter of paying his wages till his contract expires. I hope it's transfer related because it's not form related obviously one back is a different different kettle of fish he's coming back Matt with a question from Federico are you lads still confident we'll qualify for the Champions League knockouts <laughs> why the fuck not that's <laughs> all I've got it is it's all I've got I just it's a I, we should beat Copenhagen but then we should have beat Galatasaray and then we should beat Galatasaray this time and then we'll beat Bayern <laughs> 
three three now. Agree, Brian? Um why the fuck not? <laughs> why not? I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the question. Are we gonna win the Champions League? Yes. <laughs> Originally when I saw the group laid out and when I saw the fixtures Aside from looking at which lovely cities we can go visit for the Euro ways and looking at the way the, the group shaped up, I was a bit disappointed that the Bayern home game was the last game because naively I thought, oh, that's a shame, that's going to be a dead rubber now. It won't be as exciting. Is it fuck? It was gone from being a dead rubber to hoping, amongst hope, we can beat Copenhagen, hoping we can go to fucking Galatasaray away and get a result, and hoping that when we do eventually play Bayern at home, that a draw gets us through to the next round of the Champions League stage. Um, Matt is visually beckoning me away that I'm absolutely lunatic, which I know, I understand. But that's the hope I have. So optimi- blind, optimistic, naive child inside me is now going, the Bayern game is going to be absolutely massive. This is the night everyone wants to be at Old Trafford. It's like one of those games of old where this is swashbuckling United side turn up on a cold night in Old Trafford and nick a 1-0 win or nick a a draw at the end and we get through to the next stage. Fantastic. The likelihood is we're already out before they come. It is a fucking dead rubber and everyone shifts off their tickets because no one can be arsed. Just a slap of reality there. No, we're going to win it. Fuck it. We're going to do it. (laughs) We're going to beat Copenhagen twice and then we'll do Bayern. It'll be 3-0. Dalot will score. And Maguire will get the other two. And right. then... What's Anana going to do? Fucking everything. He's safe. <laughs> and then he's going to get the assist for the Maguire goals. Maguire going to make a run. And he's just going to... Bing. Maybe like Van Persie's volley against Villa. Sorry, lads. Bring oh, Matt on. Bring Matt on. And we're in absolute dreamland talking about winning the Champions League. Started a podcast we were you know, talking about being absolutely crap for 90 minutes and then pulling it out of the bag in stoppage time. But now we're going to win the European Cup. Another question in, Brian, one for you, Mark Whelan. I watched the Beckham documentary over the weekend with the wife and kids. I felt really proud reminiscing about how we stood by our players back then. Do you think we've lost a bit of that since? I watched the David Beckham documentary last weekend on my own in a room because I couldn't do it in front of anybody else because it's the equivalent of porn. It was one of the best things I've watched in ages. David Beckham has was and always will be my favourite Man United player. What we did as a fan base, putting our collective arm around him when Glenn Hoddle, the shithouse, tore him alive. The English fan base tore him to shreds. Effigies being burnt of him over a silly mistake, kicking out at a shithouse Diego Simeone, who played it very well, to be fair. even He, he comes across well in the documentary. He just he smirks and holds his hands up. He's like, yeah, I fucked him over. You can, yeah, you can't but respect it. It's a, it's a lovely reminder of what United used to be about. Fell it down in his look. I mean, imagine if social media was around as prevalent as it was back now back then. There's no way Beckham gets through that. I mean, what he went through was fucking horrific. Absolutely diabolical. And it, it, even me watching it back, having lived through that era and being old enough to, to remember that era, I didn't even remember how bad it was. It was it was shocking. I loved how it portrayed how he felt about United singing, the boys singing his name from the sideline how that gripped him and, and he felt like that hug from the crowd that everyone's going to be all right. United have my... Just quickly on that, with the United fans singing his name that season after 98, don't think the documentary really portrayed it as well as they could have. And I don't know if they had rights to the Premier League. But United fans did that from the very, very start of the season. The 2-2 draw against Leicester, which Beckham scored in. It's a shame they didn't really capture that. Yeah, and like you said, maybe they, maybe they didn't have access to the clips or whatever, but... Like he came to United and Fergie pretty much put him into a bubble, like a safe space. Come back here, we'll protect you, we've got your back. Got torn apart at every away ground. Away fans just destroyed him every chance they got. But so I, I loved, I loved like, you know, Roy Keane. They wanted to kick him. Well, we've got a couple of fellas that'll fucking kick you too. So I, 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 that's, that's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic to listen to. Smirky smiles from the likes of Harry Cantona looking back on it. It was one of the best things I've seen in a long time because so much negative shit comes out about United all the time, every single week. To watch something going back to an era of where it displays negativity so strongly, but it also shows the other side of football and the other side of Man United, where we can overcome adversity, we can help one of our own. One of our own's down in his luck, we'll throw an arm around him, we'll get him through it. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was class. It was absolutely fantastic to watch. Um, I don't think anything related to that type of atmosphere or attitude exists at the club anymore. I think that's gone so long. 
Um, I don't think we protect our own as collectively fans and club together. It probably goes back, to be fair, to Ferguson. I mean, what he created will never be done again, in my opinion. I mean, Pep, could, Pep can win the treble, but they don't have what we had. They don't have that. They don't have that us against the world mentality. And it, he created something special. He created something you can't you can't bottle it. You can't buy it. It's just it took a long time to do it, and a very special man to achieve it. And I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. But it must have been phenomenal for David Beckham and for like for his parents and his wife and everyone else to see the care that he got from that club at a time when. His child, his child was being threatened with kidnap, and fucking, he'd have security on, on the house and like bullets I'm in a, the post. Bullets in the post, like Jesus, Christ, like I'm, I'm a parent. I can't imagine if someone said something in any way negative about my child, I'd flip. But to be going through that t- level of of horror, and still go out and be one of the best players in the world. Just the important to know too that his friends do say when he after ninety eight when all this was happening and he was being spat at in the streets that he never once retaliated or he never once you know snapped he just kind of took it on the chin I think what was remarkable in kind of a sinister way because we, we speak a lot about mental health nowadays and how we manage it Beckham maybe he was old-fashioned of him but he really just got on with it because when it when he took to the pitch Neville commented on it how it didn't matter what was happening in the days before. He could be having a tiff with Victoria or it could have been anything. And it could have been really playing in his mind. But Neville was never under the impression that when he went out on the pitch, he always knew Beckham was going to perform. Funny thing about that, Dale, just before you move on. When Neville was saying that and when I was watching it, I didn't expect that to be the final point on what he was saying. He was building it up about how everything off the pitch was chaotic He's on the phone to Victoria. He's fucking driving four hours to see her for five minutes. He was basically detailing all the really complicated stuff that was happening off the pitch. And I thought he was going to then go on and go. And then it, it showed on the field, like you knew by him, his head was, I wasn't in it and he wasn't good enough. And he had a dodgy game here and there. I, but next thing he turned around, he was like, he stepped on the pitch, boom, flick of a switch, pulled off miracles. And that's, that was what David Beckham was about. And it's testament to the guy that he was able to do that. I mean, the strength mental strength it must have taken to be able to shut out everything you've just done for the last hour or so and all of a sudden step on a football field and become phenomenal I don't think it's the thought as he deserves With the documentary I think they're, they're kind of pandering to an audience aren't they you know, it's, it's not aimed at a football audience it's aimed at the Hollywood kind of audience and the, the casual watcher if you knit together Class of 92 and that I think you get a broader outlook of actually what it was like for him because it, I kind of picked up on a couple of bits. He says for the corners in 99, in the class of 92, that Peter Schmeichel was his his inspiration for putting the balls in. Whereas in the documentary, he says it was his dad making him practice all the time. Well, you've got the sentimental father for everybody. And then for us football fans, you've got the bollocking from the goalkeeper. So I think he, the truth is somewhere in the middle of the two of them. I, I don't, I'm not to say he's lying in either of them. I just think one's maybe slightly more embellished than the other. And I think as far as the culture of backing players goes, I think the problem now is a lot of the players who need backing are fucking the club over. You look at um, Pogba, Lingard, Martial, Maguire now, who's coming out and saying things, you know, Dean Henderson. I think the only one that you could maybe argue wasn't out to fuck the club over was De Gea, who maybe needs a bit of backing. And maybe now with sort of Onana, I think people are getting behind him a lot more. There's concerns when you're talking to United mates. But I think it, certainly in the public eye, I, I would back him a lot more than I'd not do. And people like Martinez, Anthony, maybe here and there. So I think I think we can get back to close to what Sir Alex had. But Brian is right that I don't think we'll ever see anything quite like that ever again. I don't know, we won't see the environment which Ferguson created. I think it was the second episode that was really shown well. It comes down to, as well, just the amount of respect all of these people had for the manager, which I don't think exists really at any club nowadays. I think you could look at a number of elements of modern football, specifically player power, which personally I think just makes it impossible. It makes it really impossible because you look at any manager nowadays and if he speaks in a certain way to a player that upsets him, that player 
finds it very, very easy to get his story out there and has no problem doing so. It's a matter of picking up their phone, speaking to their agent or speaking to a journalist that they're friendly with. And it they're the effects of player power. I think it's ugly. I think I don't know how managers deal with it, but I don't know how I'm sure for I'm hundred percent sure Ferguson would have been able to deal with it in the modern game because he was the one that, that was able to do it time and time again. But I don't know how they do it. How they can be done. I, I think not even Klopp and Guardiola are, are, are safe from it. You know what I mean? Joe Cancelo prime example of somebody who spoke out against Guardiola and the solution now is just to sell him basically and hope that you've got the resale value. Does that go back to, sorry, what we were saying earlier on about the manager having that kind of power at a club? We know Guardiola has it at City where if he's unhappy with a player, he can he, he knows he has the power just to get rid of him and to get a new player in. And then it goes back to Manchester United We've got the Glazers totally hampering everything we do. Um, senior sources have said for years that decisions are extremely delayed. So when a manager says he wants a player out and you've got decisions being constantly delayed, you can see where the complications come into it. Definitely. I think what also helps, Guardiola is the best example at the minute, unfortunately, but you, you've you've got a winning squad. So if you've got Cancelo in there who's not happy and is causing ructions, it's not a difficult thing to say, look, I need him to go. I need him sold now, whether it's a loan to buy like they did with the clause or whatever. He's got to go because he's going to derail everything. I think that also helps. I think, unfortunately, we don't have that United. You know, you've got people who, you know, it's reported that there are players unhappy and on team Sancho if you want so it, it makes it difficult because you sell Sancho and you've got three players unhappy on top of that so what do you do do you sell those three players and then those three players are going to have mates do you sell them you end up with no squad even even down you know they're going to have youth players who look up to these players who will then be upset that they've been so it's the player power argument is is very very valid in all of this I think and it's got to a point where it's becoming almost unmanageable for them. Ten Hag, I don't think he's even been that bad. And you look when we were losing games, if you look at his press conferences, and he was getting pelters for saying, that, oh, well, actually, you know, I saw some positives and maybe it wasn't as bad as we think. And then you look after Brentford and he came out and I'm kind of paraphrasing a bit and, and sort of went in on them for the recent form and said, we've not been playing well enough. We've not been winning games that we should have done. We haven't. We've only had short spells. And if he comes out after the defeats and says what he should say, which is we, we were fucking appalling today. We were terrible. It's just that morale's just going to crash through the floor, and it's unmanageable for them because he's he has to say he has to lie basically, and everyone knows he's lying. And then, like you said before, it's another week of talks about going on him saying, "Well, this dickhead saying that United played quite well actually for ten minutes." Well, I'm you know Gabby Adbon the whole finds issue with that. And this year, it's a nightmare. It is for him. I, I, I don't envy them whatsoever. Absolutely not, Matt. Absolute pleasure to have you back on the Stratocast. And since you didn't do a, a run down an island, Asda, we'll definitely have you back on soon. Well, we've got to give the public what they want to have in there, you know. The messages I've had, Dale. A man of the people. Yeah, there's been at least... Well, my mum... Was annoyed with you. I'll tell you All that. Right. <laughs> she, she wasn't. I was lying down. No one cared. <laughs> right. Well, other people do care. So please um, continue your support with questions and feedback for the podcast. And obviously give us a nice rating if you're feeling generous. Next episode will be next week before United return to face Sheffield United. And we'll have a show as well before the game against Copenhagen. Matt, thanks again for joining me and we'll speak to you all again next week. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.